The Trojan Talk podcast is presented by the Alabama Forestry Commission. Protect, sustain, educate. Online at forestry.alabama.gov. My name is Barry McKnight from the Troy University campus, which is buzzing with activity these days as we record this on July 27th, 2021. New Troy baseball coach Skyler Mead was hired earlier this month, and he has been at least as busy since that time as anybody on this campus. Now, if I got my dates right, the announcement of your hiring at Troy was July the 14th. Press conference was the next day, July the 15th. What have the last two weeks been like? <laughs> They've been busy. They've been chaotic. I'm sure there's some other words you could throw in there. <laughs> but it's been uh, a lot of you know communicating with the players that are currently on the roster, communicating with recruits, uh, both you know with kids in the transfer portal, uh, doing some prep stuff on junior college, our 22s, watching 23s. Mm-hmm. So there, there's been a lot of different things going on aside from all of the you know small details that happen when you take over a program. You got a wife and two kids too. What has that been like? So yeah, my wife, she's handling <laughs> things as probably as well as anyone could. They're back in South Carolina still. Mm-hmm. We cannot move in to our house that we got here in Troy till the beginning of October. So right now, like our five-year-old will start kindergarten over there, and then they'll they'll come over here in October. So yeah, there's there's a lot of logistics, but it, it worked out well that we we got a place and and that you know our kids are young enough where they'll handle the transfer uh, as smoothly as possible. What has the collective response been like from your new student athletes? Everything's been overwhelming, overwhelmingly great. I mean, it's there's been excitement. Uh, you can feel it both just in phone calls, FaceTimes, texting with players. You know, we've been on the road. Like, we've been running around like maniacs seeing as many games possible. And mm-hmm. you run into a lot of alums, and, and everybody's been excited. It seems like everybody kind of knows what's going on, both with, you know, just myself getting hired and then just the things that are on the horizon with some of the facility upgrades. It, it has people pretty juiced up. I can imagine that, and, and I know all the student athletes who are returning. I've, I've, I've been here for a good while. I I can imagine that there was some some questions. Maybe there still are. There were some questions about what does Coach Mead stand for? What is this all this about? How have you handled those kinds of questions? How have you represented your vision to these guys? Well, you know, I think it, it can be a little difficult when you're not face to face with people, you know, and, and you don't want to over inundate them with information because some of it has to it has to be natural with the grouping that you have, and and so to to pretend like I totally know the dynamics of you know, the 40 players that'll be in our locker room when we get here, that would, uh, that would be disingenuous. But I think just with the way I've attempted to communicate with them, um, the way I've tried to be at least as open as possible in, in answering questions, like you said, I think they'll get a quick understanding of, of what I'm about and, and what our program will be about as, as they all get in here in the fall. You really kind of just jump into it. I want to take you back. I did a little research. And when you got the job at South Carolina as pitching coach, your last job, if I'm not mistaken, you got hired in November. The season started like everybody else's does in February. You had to jump in. You didn't know any of them. You had to, you know, again, what you're talking about, relate your vision to them, uh, get to know their strengths and weaknesses in what, two or three months. So this seems at least, it seems hectic, but it's not the most hectic uh, coaching uh, challenge that you've had at the collegiate level. Well, no, it's such a great point because I got hired November 24th, and oh. 
And so I came down to South Carolina and the players were shut down. They hadn't thrown in a month. So I got them to come outside and just play catch just so I could see how their bodies move. But they weren't doing it. I mean, we were throwing 60 feet. Mm-hmm. So then you finish on December 1st and we're done. We don't come back till January 13th. And so, you know, that year, January 13th, the season was like 30 days. <laughs> so the first round of bullpens, first time I'd ever seen guys throw live. And I remember, you know, we had a bunch of freshmen. We, we pitched like six or seven freshmen that year. And so I remember seeing like guys throwing bullpens and being like, oh man, we got to work on this with their breaking ball. We got to do this with their changeup. We got to do this with their fastball. Thankfully, I had at least spoke to them, met them all in person, and they kind of knew how I operated, maybe, you know, verbally or just like an energy. Mm -hmm. It was fast and furious. And and I think, I think we, of course, did a great job. I mean, heck, we were one game from Omaha that year, um, you know, with a group that was kind of pieced together in a sense. And so I think that was as good a preparation as anyone anyone could have for their first head coaching job like this. The the ability to be able to just open with a clean slate with all of them, or the need for that, seems obvious. You know, I don't have any preconceived notions about any of you. Let's play catch and just get the ball rolling here. These players here at Troy this upcoming year, same kind of a deal. Whoever they may be, you mentioned the transfer portal. Any preconceived notions, Any, or is it all a blank slate with them? I think it's a close to blank slate. I think you have, you know, in this day and age, you can go on, you can watch videos of the games, mm-hmm. you can go on Synergy. Of course, we all have a stat sheet. The stat sheet, you know, you, you know who, who hit 300, you know who pitched well, you know who didn't pitch well. I mean, there are at least, we'd be lying if there was no preconceived notions, but at the same time, it is a blank slate in terms of what guys' roles are as time you know goes on. You are going to at least set the stage for what your season looks like through this fall. It'll be a highly competitive fall. We will force that on them if it's not going to be. Um, but I want to have as blank a slate as possible with all of them in terms of knowing what they are and what they stand for because in the end, it's and I say this just relating to myself, like it's my mind, like what – what I know about a guy, I want to learn myself. I don't want other people to influence it too much because they may be jaded for some other reason. I've also, in my research, you had said before a couple of years ago that your favorite time for just pure coaching is the fall. What needs to happen with this program? And you've spoken to it for a moment. What are the what are the main touchstones for the fall that you see for this for this team or for any team? Well, you know, I, I always tell guys this, and I know sometimes you know some coaches may disagree with it a little bit, but they don't post your fall stats online. So as a player, you got to be open to taking a step backward to take two steps forward. In the end, we're just trying to maximize every single player. So whether it's a pitcher, position player, something they're working on defensively, we're just trying to get you better. And sometimes in order to get better, you have to retreat back a little bit. That's hard to do in the season. If you're going into a weekend and you're playing Coastal Carolina and you're a hitter and there's something that you know is a massive change, you probably don't do that in the season. But in the fall, we have to find and address those things. So let's say there's a pitcher who can't get left-handed, a right-handed can't get lefties out. And we learned that really quickly in the fall, that this joker just gets lit up against lefties. Well, why not try to figure out a way? Does he maybe throw, need to throw a cutter? Does he need to change something with his fastball, the usage of his pitches? We can tinker with those things. 
and there's nothing that's going to go on the win-loss column, the stats column. And I think players have to understand that, but you still have to compete. And I think the disconnect that happens from time to time, and I see this in recruiting a lot, and it drives me crazy, they think just because they're working on something means it's a crutch that you don't have to go perform. And there's there's a difference in that. And so if you go out and... Let's say we're working on change-ups this day. You're a guy that's never thrown a change-up, and we throw all change-ups in an outing. Well, you need to still compete at the highest level to throw that pitch successfully, but it's not okay to just go, well, it didn't go well today. I threw O of 30 for strikes, but it, you know, I've never thrown that. Therefore, it's all right. You have to still compete to win at that highest level, whatever it is, pitcher, position player. And I think if you do that, then you can maximize yourself. I'll give you another example okay. just because I, I get excited talking about these things in the fall. It's like we're going to lift as intense as they've ever lift, lifted in their lives. They're going to be sore. That's okay. Being sore is not a bad thing. Being sore means you worked. What I don't want is everyone to say, well, you know, my, my, my hip was a little sore today because I squatted, you know, 325 pounds for a set of five. That's why I just, you know, I couldn't get on that fastball. You got to get over that and you have to battle through that or learn how to make that adjustment. This program has never been much for rationalizations and excuses. I'm just I'm just envisioning our listeners to this podcast nodding your head at that because that's the way Troy baseball has always been. Let me ask you about this. Uh, you've been coaching since 08. Your your last year as a competitive player was 07 and I think anybody who's uh, who's looked at your past when you took this job Louisville, Eastern Illinois, Middle Tennessee, Michigan State, South Carolina, they know uh, your background and the, the high level um, that, you've, that you've been exposed to and, and learned from. What is it about this program that the unique um, aspects of this program that attracted you here? You were on a track to become a head coach at some point. Probably pretty soon. What is it about Troy that made you uh, jump at the opportunity? No, it's such a good question. Uh, I, there are a lot of things that that I could say, but for me, just you know, and, and, and obviously my wife and I talk about this, and you know, even you know, the, as the members of our staff come out, you know, some of these guys that I know, I they've always known what my goals were in that first head coaching job. Is it a place that you can win? Is it a place that there's support? Is it a place that's in a good league? Is it a good locale, um, you know, in the country in terms of just, to be honest, just is it good weather, right? Right, yeah. And other than it does seem to rain here every day between two and four, which is kind of wild. <laughs> I'm learning that one. But regardless, does it check off a lot of boxes? Can you do great things in whatever that program is? And so from the first conversation I had with Brent, and he explained his vision his group's vision, the university, the athletic department, all those things combined with my knowledge on the baseball side, it's been an absolute slam dunk. That does not mean that we're going to win 45 games every year. I don't know what we will do in 2022 and beyond. But what I can tell you is all of the pieces are there to do great things. So when it came down to the nitty-gritty in this job – I sat there and said there probably couldn't be a more perfect first head coaching job for for myself and, and our group that we'll put together here because everything is in place. At your press conference, and again, back to your background, 
um, you have played for, coached for Chris Limonis, uh, John McDonald, Mark Kingston. But the first coach that you mentioned at your press conference, I was standing right behind you to the side, interested, was a head coach at Eastern Illinois that uh, not many people in this country could recognize the name. Go, go into that and the impact, the mentorship that you got as a GA in your first coaching job. Absolutely. Well, I, I like telling I like telling the story, and it was funny. I was speaking to a guy who he, he runs uh, Prep Baseball Report Illinois now, but we worked together at Eastern Illinois in 2010, named Drew Lacascio, and and he was talking about the press conference and. And he'd said, you know, when you started naming your coaches, you I thought you were going to forget Jimmy. And I said, no, no, no. I wanted to just kind of set the stage. Yep. If you're going to be a good storyteller, sometimes you got to <laughs> lure someone in when they think you're forgetting something. <laughs> I, I owe every everywhere that like I, I myself have gotten in coaching to him taking that chance because not a lot of people have the wherewithal and to be quite frank, the confidence to make the sort of decision he did when he brought me on staff in, t- in the summer of 2007, mm-hmm. a month from being a player. Not even a month, to be honest with you. I pitched in Omaha June 19th of 07, and I think I got hired like July 2nd. So it it took a lot of foresight from him, and I, I think that's one thing in my career as a head coach from here beyond – like I want to showcase that confidence in moves that I make, whether it's a decision on the field, whether it's a personnel decision, whether it's a staffing decision, whether it's my communication with administration. You have to be confident in what you do. And so he he taught myself, Sean Lyons, Ben Wolgamont, um, so many other coaches, you know, Drew Lacascio, I could go down on such a list. How how did you just go about your business? And, you know, how to be organized, what's important, how to answer things. And and I, I could not have picked a better person to have been my, the first head coach I worked for because he laid those things out for you and he held you accountable to him. And even when he might be getting on you from time to time, there was a method to all of it. And I still talk to him frequently today. And, and he always has great nuggets for, for myself and, and other guys that have worked for him. And I do. I, all those other coaches are amazing, and I know everybody knows, you know, Coach Mack and Limo and these guys. But I wouldn't be where I'm at without Jimmy Schmitz. I'm old school. I've been around again for a good little while. A couple of years ago, when they they brought in the TrackMan technology here. Jerry and I would be up there broadcasting the games, TV and radio, and we'd sneak a look over there. There's so much information. How do you, how will you use technology and can technology be overused? I, let me, let me work in reverse. Yes. Technology can, can definitely be overused. And, and I said this, we, we had a recruit here the other day and, and the topic came up about technology. And I said, all this technology, TrackMan, Rapsodo, Bats Video, all these different softwares are great. But if we don't utilize them in a digestible form to make the player better, then we're wasting our time and we're just trying to look smart. What is really smart, and you know, when I was at South Carolina, we had a, a guy on our staff, he was our recruiting coordinator, then he went to director of player development named Mike Current. Mm-hmm. He was tremendous with it, putting things in forms that players can look at either in their phone, a hard copy, on a computer, so that you take all of those zillion lines of information and put it in a form that makes sense. So if you have a pitcher that 
is getting hit hard. Okay, why is he getting hit hard? Is it because his pitches aren't good enough? Does he not have enough velocity? Or is it the way he uses it? Is it the location he uses it? Mm-hmm. Let's say his fastball when it's down in the zone, so the bottom half, it's hit at like a 400 clip. But when he's up in the zone, they hit it at a 100 clip. Well, we all know which one we would prefer that guy to do, mm-hmm. work up in the zone. But it's then you have to take it another level. Now we have the data and the information we can show the player and say, okay, you pitch up in the zone, you will do well. When you pitch down, you get rocked. Maybe we can't change that. But now here's the way we're going to work on this in our uh, flat ground settings, our throwing settings, our bullpen settings. Maybe we do something with the grip. Maybe we go to pure four seam grip so he's up in the zone. We can take that information and he now, the player goes, well, this isn't just a coach throwing info at me that it's opinion-based. Right. It, this is reality-based. This is actual data. This is numbers that are real. Now, could they change over the history of time? Potentially. But if there's something drastic, we have to address that. It's the same thing for a hitter. Hitters sometimes got to realize what they're really bad at and avoid that. Is there a pitch that they think they hit? Coach, when I... When I hit that ball down and in, I crush it. And then you go, well, you're two for 75 on that pitch. But the two may be, one of them may be a, a basis clearing double. You remember those, but the data may not back it up. Right. And so what we will do here, and, and I guarantee we will we will take the, all the places that do a great job, whether it's South Carolina. I know people at LSU that have done great. Mm-hmm. Iowa is a program in the Big Ten that does great with analytics. We're going to take some of these programs, and my goal is we will blend it together and put it in a form for the players that they will totally understand. It will allow them to have total buy-in to things we do. And to be honest with you, I think it will help us in the recruiting process because you know there's not many teams in this league that have TrackMan. Not only will we have it, we will use it better than anybody in this part of the country. That, that I know because you just got to connect to these guys on a lot of levels now. Mm -hmm. And they're all technology-based. They all have their cell phone in their hand all the time. Why not provide them things that they can look at in their cell phone that make sense that make them a better baseball player? A coach who had been here for a long time um, in another sport once told me, this is one of my favorite quotes because it's true. He said, I hope heaven has a soft spot, a soft, warm place for coaches' wives. (laughs) You know, I I can also extend that to broadcasters' wives, too, because of the schedule. Um, Your wife met her at the press conference, impressive as heck. Would you be here sitting at this desk without, as quickly as you have, so to speak, without her input? And how has she made a difference in what you do? Well, she's uh, no, to first answer your question, (laughs) no, I, I I would not be, but... What what she does really well, and I'm sure uh, there's other coaches I know mm. that they probably have this, but my wife's so smart. She was an athlete. She runs businesses. She's just she she very much. I use the line. She gets it. Mm-hmm. But she's good at taking the information and then us talking about it in a form that works for me. It, you know, hey, like is this a job that's really good? Is this gonna is this gonna check all the boxes that we want? I've told this story. Heck, Coach Boss knows this at Michigan State. At first, when I was reached out to by Michigan State, I didn't have any interest in going to Michigan State. 
I didn't. I was a little sour about a job I had not got at the time. Uh-huh. I was so engulfed in, in at Middle Tennessee State and worked for such a great head coach. We had a good year. We had guys coming back. And then my wife goes, hey, if, I did some research on the area, the Big Ten Network, the program. We got to go up there and check it out. So we did, and then it ended up being an amazing home for us after I opened my eyes, but I opened my eyes because my wife <laughs> told me to. And so, yeah, Jess is really sharp. And, I, you know, everybody has to have some people that are tight with them, whether it's family, friends, uh, confidants in the coaching or whatever it is that, that really helped them get there. But, yeah, my wife's just really good about taking situations and looking at them as a – as a kind of a future plan. And that's why, you know, you asked the question initially just about why Troy. Mm-hmm. It became, for her and, and myself, it was just so easy. And everything that we we found, and then once we, of course, got down here, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it, it just verified what we already thought. College baseball as a whole, the trajectory that it's on, you've mentioned the transfer portal already, the... Um, the the swing of the pendulum more towards student athletes and and them controlling their experience. Do you like the track college baseball is on as a whole? Do you, in your estimation, and you've been at it for a while, is college baseball better for the student athlete specifically than even when you were an active student athlete or not? Oh, it is without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, I. I probably played or pitched in a hundred games in my career. If you combine the two, like there is minimal video of that. Right. And I didn't play that long ago. I played from 2003, to 2007. Mm-hmm. Heck I played on a team that went to Omaha. There's not that much video. Think about the amount of just video that these guys have on themselves. If they play in a baseball game, there's video of it. So they can go back and if they want to watch it, they want to, for these guys, they like to retweet it. They like to post it on IG. They like to do all these things, TikTok, whatever. It's all there for them. They don't even have to work to get it. If I wanted to find anything just from my playing days, I'd have to really work to get it. And I didn't even play that long ago. You know, there's obviously the name, image, likeness stuff that's going on, which, once again, it only benefits the athlete. Right. You know, I, I think there's things that are going to have to kind of be worked out in that. that you know, just guys understanding the taxes, guys understanding the additional responsibility when they already have a lot of things on their plate. How do you prioritize things? I, I do think there's going to be a little juggling act to that. But college baseball, especially this past year, post-COVID and the draft shortening, there's never been more talent. I mean, heck, we faced like seven first-round picks this past year at South Carolina. It was an absolute nightmare. The teams and the SEC and all across the country were all better than they've ever been. And so... That backlog of players, I think you're going to see that for probably three to five years. So the college game is in a great place. TD Ameritrade, Omaha, the exposure with ESPN, the SEC Network, the ACC Network, Pac-12, all of them. I just think the exposure of the game has gotten so good. And, And to be honest with you, I think it's become more appealing to a lot of people. I'm not saying all than the major league game at times because of the excitement, Mm -hmm. the vibrance, the stadiums. I'll say this, and this isn't when I say this, this is not a, a, a political, this is nothing here. But when you were watching games in April of this year, 
what made people start opening up, I think, in this country in sports. Look at what was going on at Ole Miss, Mississippi State, mm-hmm. 11,000, 12,000 fans, especially when they played that mm-hmm. weekend. It made us all go, wait a second, I think we're, we're moving in the right direction, and, and we can have fans, we can have normalcy, we can go celebrate things. And so, like I said, that's not a political thing. That's just a fact. Sports are a part of America. They're a part of the world, for that matter. But what makes sports great is, is having people in the stands and, and cheering and living and dying with it. As we record this, we are sitting in your office at the Lot Baseball Complex overlooking the field. Everybody knows where that is. Behind us, the stands in February, they're going to be full. Troy fans are, are, are looking forward to getting out there and supporting. What do you hope are the first things they notice about your teams at Riddle Pace Field? Well, I hope they first just notice the energy that we are going to play with. Um, just the way our guys are going to bounce on and off the field, the, the intensity that they will play with, whether it's, you know, a guy gets a hit, the juice that will come from the dugout, and the way that I want that guy to enjoy it. When you do something good in sports, you should have a moment of celebration. Um, doesn't mean it needs to be outrageous or some sort of doctored up thing, but you need to enjoy it. It is a game, right? It is a game. I've heard, I've heard people say this a lot of times, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, golf, whatever. It's still a game. It's still a game, right? And, and you, you can't forget that. And so I think the energy we play with, they will certainly notice. I hope that they see a, I hope that they see a certain style um, with the way we're going to run the bases, the way that we're going to utilize that aspect of the game mm-hmm. that may be a little bit different. Um, and that has, I mean, there's been tons of success here in the past, but I think that's something that we may bring to the table that will be a little bit new. Um, you know, I hope that, you see a lot of pitchers, just from what I know, and the guys coming in that are going to be incredibly aggressive and will work with insane tempo. We, we're really big on playing the game fast, and so that will be promoted, and I think you will see that difference with our guys. But you know, in the end, I, I want people to have access to this program. I want people to be here. I don't want them the, fir- the first time that they see our team to be in February. I want them to come out and watch scrimmages. I want them to see the evolution of our team. We're going to have night scrimmages here. We will have the lights on. We will invite people. We want other coaches to come in and see what we got going on. Because I think when you appreciate where we'll come from August 11th, which will probably be our first team meeting, to where we are in February, to where we hope to be in May, I think you will notice a tremendous difference both hopefully in our skill sets, but also just in our the, the collaboration amongst staff, coaches, players, everybody. I think you will see a, a, a supreme difference that hopefully equates to a lot of wins. We're grateful to get the time with Troy Baseball Coach Skyler Mead during his hyper-busy schedule these days on a special edition of the Trojan Talk podcast presented by the Alabama Forestry Commission. Protect, sustain, educate online at forestry.alabama.gov. From the Troy University campus, I'm Barry McKnight.